There is enough power to save everybody. Every single person who ever lived, there's enough power in that cross to save the whole world. But people need to say, I want to put it on my life. On the doorposts of my heart, I need it to be affixed so that death passes over. And the question for each one of us, is that you? The lamb was slain. Jesus died already 2,000 years ago on a hill in Jerusalem. Have you made it your own? Have you said, God, yes? We have all saddled ourselves with such a debt of sin that we can't ever repay it. But God has given us a way out. Like the children of Israel who escaped the final judgment of Egypt with lamb's blood on the doorpost, we have an escape from our sin in Jesus. As Pastor Daniel shares today, we'll hear that the children of Israel escaped a penalty of death, and so can you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, The Passover. So, okay, I need to take the blood from this lamb. I need to put on the doorposts and on the lintel, which is the top bar. Think about it. You put it on the top, you put it on the two sides. What's it in the shape of? Shape of a cross. Because no one's going to, you know, if, if you got to put some on the door, you're not going to like lean down and do it. I mean, nobody, right? you just do it the easy way. Top, shoulder level. The blood on the doorpost. It's interesting. We're going to find in a second, everyone needed to choose a lamb. The lamb needed to be slain. But let's say you said, well, look, I, I, I slain the lamb. I just don't want the blood on my door. We're going to find that the blood on the door is proof so that the angel of death passes over. Why? Because the lamb was slain, but you have to, it has to be applied. And that's why I believe that at the cross, there is enough power to save everybody. Every single person who ever lived, there's enough power in that cross to save the whole world. But people need to say, I want to put it on my life, on the doorposts of my heart. I need it to be affixed so that death passes over. And the question for each one of us, is that you? The lamb was slain. Jesus died already 2,000 years ago on a hill in Jerusalem. Have you made it your own? Have you said, God, yes, I will by faith affix that blood to the doorposts of my heart so that death is averted? It's not enough to say, well, yeah, I believe Jesus died. Has he died for you? Have you made it personal? Are you willing to get dirty in the midst of it? That's what faith is all about. Faith is what applies the finished work of Jesus to our lives. That's what it is. Faith, as I've said here a lot of times, is the hands that receive the free gift of God. The gift is there, but we need to take it and receive it. So it's not enough just to have a lamb killed. That blood needs to be on the doorposts. It needs to be on the doorposts. You need to let it be affixed to your life by faith. Now, in verse 8, we get the instructions on how to eat. 
this Passover meal. Look at what it says. They shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Now, notice, it needs to be eaten that evening, and it needs to be roasted in fire. Now, why is it roasted? Why roasted? Now, and it goes on to say you can't boil it and all these things. Why? Because when you roast something in fire, in that day and age, they didn't have nice Weber grills. Like when you close it. When you roasted something in fire, it was done publicly. If you boiled it, you could have put it in a pot. You wouldn't see it. It was roasted because it had to be killed publicly. And does that relate to Jesus? Was Jesus crucified somewhere in quiet? In a back room somewhere? No, it's totally public. So that it could be seen. It could be seen. So it was roasted in fire. And there's no doubt, when you think about fire, biblically, fire speaks of judgment, doesn't it? Fire also speaks of that refining fire. So fire isn't always negative, but it speaks about the idea of judgment. Roasted with fire. It's interesting. It could have been any other way. Notice it talks about with unleavened bread. So you think about this is what you would call the matzah. Matzah is bread without leaven. Now, it's interesting. I worked in a bakery for a long time. An artisan bakery is kind of a cool job. And it was a good job because I needed a job. And I was just happy to have one. I didn't realize that it was going to come in so handy in Bible teaching at the time. Shows how God works. But as you start baking bread, you realize that yeast, the way yeast works is it eats the gluten. And it causes it to rise. Right? And so, you remember, this, the Passover is meant to be eaten in haste. Why? Because they're going to be fleeing Egypt. And so what it says is these unleavened cakes, there's not enough time to let the bread rise. You just have to be able to eat it and go. You, have to be, you can't wait for it to rise. You have to cook it. It's going to be flat bread. Take it. But the Bible says, of course, that yeast or leaven is a type of what? Sin. Now, why is leaven a type of sin? Why first? Because it corrupts by puffing up. Don't miss that. You think about what happens. When yeast, when it eats the gluten, it causes things to rise. If you notice, if you get a, a slice of Wonder Bread, which has got commercial yeast in it, you'll notice all the holes are very uniform. If you just look at it, it just looks like a piece of bread, right? But if you get a good loaf of sourdough bread, is it all uniform? No, right? There's these big holes in the middle of it. Why? Because it's not just throw a little yeast in and get it to rise quick enough, but it's old yeast. It's, it's old school, old world yeast. And it, what it does is it, the yeast eats so much of the inside that it leaves a big hole. It tastes awesome, but it's not uniform. See, and that's exactly how sin works. Sin eats us from the inside out, and it corrupts us by puffing us up. Because ultimately, all sin is about pride. It's all about pride, isn't it? We choose to live in a way that is contrary to the will of God because it's about us and our glory instead of being about God and his glory. C.S. Lewis said it this way. There's only two ways to live. You either say, God, your will be done, not mine, or God says, okay, your will be done. And that's the only way to live. There's only two ways. You're either pursuing God's will or you're doing your own thing. And that's why we do things that we know we ought not to because we're proud. I want it. I deserve it. I think I should have it. So in the story, in the narrative here, the unleavened cakes was about their, they had to go quickly. 
They had to flee quickly. But it's also the perfect picture. Why? Because unleavened bread speaks of bread without sin. And Jesus, the bread of life, is without, is without sin. It's the perfect picture. If you look at a, a thing of matzah, it's a perfect picture of Jesus. It's got no yeast in it. Sinless. It's broken. Jesus broke that bread and said, this is my body, which is what? Broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Not only that, if you look at a pizza matzah, they're always striped. Isaiah 53 tells us, by his stripes, what? We are healed. And what's amazing is if you talk to somebody about kosher matzah, who's Jewish, they don't even realize all that points to Jesus. They don't even I, I have a friend, Chaim Kochstein. We used to sit around in New Jersey. We'd drink espresso and we'd yell at each other. That's what we would do. Good friend. He's about 70 years old. He, he was the first guy to introduce me to the teachings of the rabbis on the Old Testament. And in good New Jersey fashion, we loved each other with loud fellowship. Where I'd say something about Jesus, oh, that's just hogwash. And he'd start yelling, and then I'd be like, oh, you know, and in that, in that culture, if you, if you just said, oh, I'm sorry, then that was no fun for him. So you had to push back. And so we would do this in the middle of Starbucks in downtown New Brunswick, New Jersey. And people would look over at us, and we'd be like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, we're friends. And we'd yell at each other. It was great. And I remember I'm, I was like, I was like, hi, I'm, how do you not see Jesus in this? Look, look, I didn't invent how you guys make matzah. This is how you make it. Why do you guys stripe it up? Well, that's because it's easy to break it that way. I'm like, ah. And I remember because we'd have these great all out brawls. And then at the end, he'd be like, you might have a good point there, young Daniel. You might have a good point. It's the perfect picture. It's the perfect picture. Those unleavened bread. And notice this, also the bitter herbs. Remember we talk about the bitter herbs. In the Passover Seder, it, it's meant to remind them, and normally it's horseradish, it's meant to remind them of the bitter bondage that they were under in Egypt. And when you think about as it relates to Jesus, of course, the bitter herbs, I mean, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. Jesus sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he was going to receive the just punishment for our sins. Jesus drank a cup of bitterness that we deserved. So all of these things, they all point right to Jesus. Now, as it goes on, notice what, what it says. It says, of course, in verse 9, do not eat it raw. And it should say because that would be nasty, but it doesn't say that. I just put that in there. Nor boiled it all in water, but roasted with fire, its head, its legs, and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet, with a staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, I know what I like about this. This teaches us that our faith needs to be active. I'm going to share my heart with you for a second. Not that I ever don't, but let me just lay it out there for you. Know what my biggest fear is for Christianity in the West? Is that we're all so comfortable. You just come to church, hear a good word, and not ever do anything with it. 
You do this whole Passover thing, and it's like, listen, I want you to have your staff in your hand. I want you to have your belt on so that your pants don't fall down when you go out. I want you to have your sandals on. It's time to go. And I believe that one of the things God wants to do in the people of God in the West in this generation is get us active again. It's too easy to come to church. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I think you should. We already talked about community. But after we hear all this stuff, we need to go do something with it. And it's so easy just to kind of get in that mode where I really don't do anything. People always say, well, what should I do? I'm like, just do what's ever in front of you. And do it well for the glory of God. Somebody has a need, just stop and say, can I help you? Someone's walking down the road and they look like they got tears in their eyes. I say, hey, I don't want to interrupt you, but are you okay? If you're married, love that person. If you have kids, nurture them. If you're in school, do it for the glory of God and meet your classmates and teachers. Go to your teacher's office hours and say, hey, listen, you know, you're a really great teacher, but I have a question. What what do you think about Jesus? We need to start doing stuff. Because it's so easy just to come to church and just be like, you know, and you get a bigger Bible because you get more spiritual. You know, I'm not knocking big Bibles, please. You know what I mean? All Bibles are good, but we need to get busy. We need to get active. There is a world that is broken, broken world. And we're part of that broken world. We're just as broken. The only difference is, is Jesus is fixing us. And as we're getting fixed, he wants us to be about the fixing with him. And I believe God wants, let's mobilize. That's been my prayer for Crossroads. God, make us fully engaged, all of us doing whatever it is we can do for the glory of God. No more, just, I mean, we have a beautiful campus. I know that those pews are nice. They make great places to fall asleep while I'm teaching. No problem. The um, atmosphere is very nice. The lights aren't too bright or too soft. It's normally a good temperature in here. It's all nice. But after we're done leisurely receiving the word, let's go roll up our sleeves and serve the Lord. Our faith was never meant to be passive. It was always meant to be active. God wants us to be activated in the work of his kingdom, all of us, in a million different ways. And I like this. It's not like, hey, just have a great festival, kick back, eat, drink, no worries. It's like, no, eat and drink and celebrate, but have your staff and your, have your shoes on because it's going to be time to go. Have your, be ready to go at a moment's notice. Let's do this. Our faith is meant to be active. And notice it says, verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the blood is the sign. And it's interesting that in every house, there is a death. It's just a matter if the death is a person or if the death is a substitute. That's the teaching. Because the wages of sin is death. So on every house, something dies. It's either a person or it's God's substitute. And that's the gospel, isn't it? That God sent Jesus as a substitute in our place. 
We deserve death. God gave it to Jesus. Jesus had life. He gave us his life. That's the Christian gospel. I believe that's the hope for humanity. I believe that it is both existentially gripping and absolutely rational. You know how I know that? Imagine you invite me over for dinner, and I hope that you do. (laughs) Hey, I learned that from Jesus. Jesus is always inviting himself over people's houses for dinner. I love that about Jesus. Remember Zacchaeus? Like, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to eat at your house. He knew that Zacchaeus had the good food, too. So Jesus was in on it. But now imagine you invite me over your house for dinner, and when I show up, I run over your mailbox. You can imagine this, can't you? Maybe it's when I'm leaving in my food coma. I don't even notice it. Just, right? And you might say, Pastor Daniel, I forgive you for wrecking my mailbox. And I could say, oh, thank you very much. Right? But either way, someone's got to pay to fix that mailbox, right? And you might say, look, Pastor Daniel, I love you and all, but you better fix that mailbox. And you'd be well within your rights to say that. And, I, and if I was a, a decent person, which I hope that God is working on me that I become, I would do that. Or you can say, no, oh, don't even worry about it. But someone's got to fix the mailbox, right? So when something happens, when something goes wrong, somebody has to pay to make it right. That's just common, rational nature. Maybe you make me do it. If I made the ouchie, the, I made the mistake, then that's fine. Or you could say, you know what, I'm going to do it for you instead. Or maybe someone in the church would say, oh, listen, Pastor Daniel, I mean, you can't drive anyway, and so the idea of you fixing a mailbox is absurd, but I'm really good at it. See, either way, in order to right the wrong, somebody has to pay, either with time, money, somebody has to. It doesn't just get fixed with nothing. And the Christian gospel is that we have all made so many mistakes that we can't pay it. So God sent Jesus to pay it in our place. God sent Jesus to pay it in our place. You can either choose your own death or you can receive the finished work of Jesus, his death on your behalf, and you can have his life. And when I think about that on a rational, just like, okay, I can either get, I can either die or I can let Jesus have died in my place and I can have life. When you look at that and you weigh that in, in the scales, it's a no brainer. You could say, no, I don't want him to die for me. I want to do it myself. So I'm going to do any number of religious rituals to try and get there. I'm going to keep the, the different things of Islam. I'm going, to, I'm going to just try and become more conscious or whatever your thing is. And there's a million of them. There's infinite numbers of attempts, attempts to reconcile yourself based on all the things you've done wrong. No amount of therapy, no amount of uh, meditation of whatever sort, no amount of emptying yourself out, no amount of books that you can read. You can do infinite numbers of things to try and get there. You can either say, look, I can't, I'm going to try everything I want because I'm too stubborn to just receive it from you, God. Or you can simply say, God is saying I can't do it, so he's did it on my behalf. I'm going to receive that, and I'm going to let God work on me, not so that I work to be okay with God, but as God works in my life, because he's finished the work, he changes me, not so that I get saved, but because I am saved. 
It'd be like saying this. Imagine, and I'm sure some of you have this, huge credit, huge bills, just horrible. Imagine you're the U.S. government. Just horrible debt, right? And you can just say, look. Someone says, look, I'm going to pay it off for you. You say, no, no, I want to pay it off myself. And they say, well, how are you going to do that? And you come up with all these different ways. You're like, I'm going to do Dave Ramsey, which is not a bad thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to inflate it out. Right? There's all these different ways. Or you can simply say, thank you. You can do it? Yeah. Okay. Now, which one are you going to do? Are you going to try and pay it off yourself? Or are you going to let a loving, benevolent benefactor do it on your behalf? Which are you going to do? Is anyone going to choose to work it off knowing that you can never do it? Anyone going to do that? Anybody? Somebody likes the hard road? Right? It's illogical, right? I know it's funny. If, if you have that opportunity and you choose and you choose to do it yourself, at some point you start kicking yourself and be like, what was I thinking? What's wrong with me? I could have been done with this, but I'm still trying and I can't get anywhere because the interest payment is more than I can afford. See, this is why the Christian faith is so riveting. Because God says, look, you have done so many things wrong and you're not even done making mistakes yet. But I'm going to take care of it for you. And I'm going to work on you. But don't try and work your way out of debt with me because it's impossible. It's impossible, brothers and sisters. And that is why, see, that is why when God created man on the sixth day, on the seventh day, what's the first thing that man did? He rested. The seventh day is the Sabbath day. Why? Because God was trying to teach Adam and Eve and every subsequent generation that you cannot work your way into blessing. You need to rest your way in. And the rest only comes through the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless one who died as a substitute for you and for me. And what's beautiful about this is this was always in God's heart. This was always in God's heart. It wasn't like God's like, what am I going to do next? I'll just send my son. No, this was always in his heart. That's why the book of Exodus has all this stuff in it. This is why. In every house, there was a death. The only difference was, is for those who allowed God to give them a substitute, they missed death and got deliverance. And my hope and prayer is that each one of us will not choose death, but choose life. Jesus died in our place. He died in our place. You can choose to do it the hard way. And let me tell you, in this instance, doing it the hard way is the wrong way. Just receive God's grace. Just say thank you for paying a debt that I never could pay and giving me a life that I really always wanted. Jesus is real. God wants us to mobilize. That's what we heard as Pastor Daniel encouraged believers to get out there and do something. As a part of a broken world, we have something to share. Within an active faith, we have the spirit-filled power 
to change lives. Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel helps us to understand the meaning of leaven and how to get it out of our lives. The key will be to find brothers and sisters to share with, leaving no sin uncovered. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is real.